Left. Right. This is a fun episode. We're just talking about life in 2023, dating in 2023, and just really what's going on with us. So sharing some personal stuff, some personal stories. Uh, hey, let me know you're out there. Give me a thumbs up. Give me a comment. Would love to know that you are watching this, and I will see you on the other end. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. to Sip Talk. This is episode 210. My name is Justin DiGiulio out of my basement in New Jersey, joined by James, the Bosnator Boswell philosopher, retired professional referee, bartender, and most exciting of all, accountant, James, the Bosnator Boswell, whose biggest handicap is that he is always correct. James, how's it hanging down there in sunny South Carolina? We prefer to refer to it as handicapable. <laughs> you can't. Well, you know, you're you're into, you know. On that note, I want to tell you about the word retard. <laughs> I just stay in a shower. <laughs> Everybody says they get good thoughts in the shower, and I realize that the word retard has now transcended um, being inappropriate. Okay, so when you used to say that's retarded, people are like, "Oh, you mean you're making fun of retarded people because it's it's you know it's it's slow," and. Now, retarded people are no longer allowed to be called retarded, right? That's just not a... It's like not, mentally handicapped or mental not, disability the or... Word lexi- the word lexicon. The word retarded is no longer in the lexicon when it comes to describing people, right? So now well, retarded, it is. It's considered like an offensive slur. It would be... Well, in it's almost transcended that, I feel like. You just... It wouldn't be used. It wouldn't be used anymore. So, so now... And, and what it means, you say that's retarded, you mean like, oh, that's messed up, like it's it's slow or it's, it's you know, behind the curve or something like that. Now, when you say that's retarded, that's still effectively what you mean. That's slow, that's messed up, that's behind the curve. Yeah. Um, you know, like how gay used to mean happy and joyful and excited, and now it meant homosexual, but it's almost becoming wrong to call homosexual people gay in some circles. Mm. In the, in the utmost of wokeness circles. Oh yeah, but I mean, those people can screw off because like well, but they're earlier, I, but they're I've earlier got friends that are gay, and they're and they'll they'll describe themselves as gay. You're like, yeah, I'm a gay well, man. Whatever, who cares? Uh, yeah, exactly. That's most people. It's it's the people that don't occupy that group that are standing up and saying this is offensive. Like you know, yeah. like the guy. There was a there was an interview uh, I saw on YouTube a couple weeks ago. It was a guy with a sombrero with a big mustache walking around and he walked up to a uh, half dozen white people and said hey is, is this co- costume offensive and they're like yeah i can't believe you're doing that and he walked up to a half dozen mexican people and he said hey is this costume offensive and they're like no it's fucking awesome it's right on money <laughs> so um oh no we just got we just, dude we just got banned for hateful behavior on tiktok mm. i don't even know what we said <laughs> um probably using the word retard actually even though <laughs> so uh, well so you know the the subreddit wall street bets used to like revel in 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 its members calling themselves and others retarded and they've they've actually shifted away from that um which i actually think is a good thing because they've they've changed the word that they use now and i think it's even better they now talk about highly regarded members <laughs> like this member is in high regards with the sub or whatever and actually the more you think about it the better it is because one you're no longer using a term that could be considered offensive it's not going to get you banned on tiktok but two like it sounds like a compliment <laughs> so uh, we got to introduce a topic i think 
I think because we. <laughs> but that's that's what I've I've been using that a lot more recently, and it has wonderful results. Say, yeah, this is a highly regarded employee at our at our so company. There's a sarcastic element. So to introduce the topic today, we are talking about absolutely nothing. We're talking about 2023. We're talking about the new year that we're now almost a month into, and we're talking about what living life is like. We're making our own speculations and, and observations from our own personal perspectives of the year 2023. I think most of you guys are going to agree with me um, and James, although James and I don't always agree, but either way, we get some extensive notes, notes about dating in South Carolina. We Which have, I'm not even doing. This is about a friend. <laughs> we have, we have additional notes about raising children and the potential they have in their lives. And then we have, uh, some notes I don't know if on, we want to get fully into that one, though. And then we have some notes on liminality and uh, and liminal spaces and a and a decent list of movies that um, I'm I'm curious where how James is going to expand on this. But uh, being sip talk, and now that we've been banned from TikTok, uh, I'm about to pour a drink. I'm curious uh, what you got over there. Bush ice. I got one left in the fridge before I have to restock. Grocery store was out of bush ice the last time I went. So this is the funny thing about laws. In New Jersey, it's illegal to sell booze at a grocery store. So you have to go specifically to a liquor store. Um, so I'm a little jealous, man. In, in South Carolina, it's against the law to not buy alcohol when you go in a grocery store. Well, these are these are different states. Uh, I blame Lindsey Graham. Um so what where where should we where let's should... just start from the top about like so my friend recently ended a relationship and has been back on the dating scene. Okay, hold up. So this is in Charleston, South Carolina. Yes. And your friend is a guy or girl? Guy. And he is how old? Thirty nine or forty, maybe? Okay, so late thirties. Deep late thirties. Yeah. Okay. Can I just ask, and I, I don't know any of these details, can I just ask, uh, how long was his previous relationship? I'm going to say probably about three years. Now, uh, all right. And I made the assumption that he's straight, but is it, is it? Yeah, straight? he's straight. Okay. Okay. So what brings, uh, what brings this to our attention today in the podcast that you want to talk about your friends? A couple, a, a couple funny stories or lines. So first of first off, like I'll throw out one. He he went on a few dates with the girl and talked about how great she was and how she had like shared a lot of his interests and all this other stuff. And let me preface this. I, I'm doing this out of order. In his last relationship, the woman that he was dating had a kid and they lived together. And after that relationship ended, her and the kid or him and the woman and the child, the, all of them lived together. Oh boy, she moved good. in with him. It was very complicated. With the child? Yes. Full custody? Part-time custody? Full. Oh! All right. And then they just broke up and uprooted this child's life. Well, yeah. they, they the, Her and the kid moved um, to a different place. Okay. All right. Um, so after that relationship ended, my friend said, I'm not going to date a woman with a kid again because of all the problems of, like of how the kid gets in the way of the relationship, even though her daughter, like a young kid, maybe like four or five, six years old, was a mm -hmm. really good kid, like well-behaved, pleasant to be around. But it's still just like, if we want to go on a date, we want to go on a trip. When you're dating somebody who has children, that dynamic is nowhere near when you're dating somebody who's single and doesn't have children. So mm -hmm. there's just another element that he's been frustrated with having dated somebody. And not that, he didn't like the daughter or the relationship was terrible, just given the opportunity to choose. And he's telling you over a beer, he, you know, his preference moving forward. And given that he has an unlimited or perceptively unlimited supply of new potentials, he's going to pursue somebody who doesn't have a child. Correct. He's saying, I'm not going to date a woman who has kids again. I said, okay, that's been my stance. Um, <laughs> but he starts dating this this girl that he met on some online dating site, and he's talking about how great she is, how she shares all these interests and everything. And I asked him, I said, okay, so you just saw her tonight. When are you going to see her again? Like tomorrow or something? He's like, probably not until next weekend. And I said, well, why? And he's like, well, she's got a kid. And I said, 
Is this the first person he went on a date with? I don't think so. But it was the first one that he talked about, like, having, like, a really good date with her. Um, so, and uh, the first one that he talked about were, like, he felt like he really clicked with her. He was probably having a blast because it was her only night off then. Well, maybe. But here, here's what, what, what I said back to him, and I think you'll like this. I said, look, man, I'm not telling you what to do or what not to do, but I will tell you what you've told me, which is you said you wouldn't date somebody who had kids. Now... Like, for me, that's a hard rule that I do not break. I just say, if you have a kid, I cannot date you. And I said, further, I have a bunch of rules about, like, how I conduct myself in the world. And all of those rules are sourced from previous errors that I made. And those rules are to prevent me from making the same mistake again. So when... On that note, though, on that note, I think, especially as an adult, and the transcendence from, from effect, a teenager or, or you know, living at home to being an adult, creating a list of rules that you don't break, I think is really, really important. And there are some rules that maybe you can adjust. You can, but no, but some you can bend time to time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, like I don't, I don't generally eat cake. Now, it's somebody's birthday and somebody puts a piece of cake in front of me, like I'll, you know, I'll, I'll eat it. I'd, I love cake. I could eat a whole fucking birthday cake full of cake. But like, if, on a you know, if I go to a restaurant and I look at the dessert menu, I'm not I'm not ordering cake. If I go to a grocery store, there's cake. I don't buy it. I go to a bodega, I get a sandwich, and there's cake. I don't buy it. But but that would be a rule that you might bend time to time. And sure. Then have, and then you have other harder rules. Now it sounds like this guy proposed this as a hard rule. For you, it so, is a hard rule. Yeah, for me, it is a hard rule. But I said, look, man, I'm not telling you what not to do. But like when you said it, it sounded like you were kind of establishing a rule for yourself. So you need to think where that comes from. And he comes back at me with, well, she has so many other positive qualities. I just don't feel like I could ever meet somebody like this again. And she'd be a great girlfriend. And what I said to Tom was, Tom, there are probably plenty of guys out there that would be a great girlfriend for me. But I don't date guys. That's a rule. It's just happy that you told me this, but I don't know if it was on the phone or it was on the last podcast, but, um, but no, and that's, I think that's the hard rule aspect of it, but also they didn't know each other. They didn't have an established relationship. They'd gone out once or twice, you said, and, and he just made this declaration against his hard, hard stance. Yeah. Well, what's also funny is, um, so that relationship, how, however short-lived it was, didn't work out. And he says that she basically told him, look, I just don't know if there's chemistry here. And Wait, he says is, to me... This is, the, this is the newest one with the kid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but anyways, like, what he, what he said next was, I just don't understand it. Because, like, before she was talking about how great we were together and all this other stuff. And then, like, all of a sudden, she just changes her mind and says something different. And I say, Tom... Let me introduce you to the concept of women. That's so get, uh, let me redirect this back to our topic. That goes back to 2023. Nobody has this word as my bond. Nobody has. I said this. I, I stand by it anymore. People will people will say something and then just change their mind the next day. If you no, if I granted, she owes him nothing because like they've been on two, maybe three dates. So like there's no commitment. Well, two or three dates is very blah. That's bullshit. But right. but still, somebody. But for me, the thing is, if I was going to say something, I would stand by it. And if, if the next day I changed my mind, or or I just happened to say something else, and you challenged me on it, I would defend myself, or or be like, you know what, you're right. I'm I'm full of shit. Uh, my mistake. But I feel like. You know what the issue is with 2023 is when you say something and then the next day you say something, someone, someone says something, the next day they say something different and you call them on it. What they do is say, I never said that thing. I never said that original thing. What are you talking about? I've always, we have it on tape, (laughs) but, but even if you had it on tape, they're still going to double down. So I never said that. That's the issue that, but either way, that's not the issue with your friend. Uh, All right, so I got I got one or two already more things. Name? Did we already huh? use his real name? What? His real name. Did we already use it? I don't think so. Okay, good. Let's, let's, let's keep it that way. Um, uh, all right. One more thing. So this is interesting to me because I, I want to know where you fall on this. He was telling me about how in Charleston there's a Facebook page 
for oh. women only. Right. I read where right. women can post a picture of like a guy that they've matched which with on the Tinder or the Bumble and post that picture and see if any other women on the page have been on a date with that person and kind of get feedback. Mm-hmm. And like it's so it's a rating, it's a ratings, it's a rating page for, it, for a rating page or possibly like an early warning sim, uh, system of like, don't go on a date with this guy in its, because, best state. in its best state. It's an early warning system. Yeah. And it, for me, it makes me think of uh, a line from one of Bill Burr's stand up comedy routines where he talks about how women are basically like a union. <laughs> what? <laughs> Okay, go ahead. Go. I don't know the comedy, and I, I'm sure your delivery of it will not be nearly as funny. No, I'm not going to try and imitate it, but just like the concept that women are a union is funny to me. Um, but he was going, he was complaining about how like how it's unfair for his picture to get posted on on this page, and for women to be able to like Wait, talk on. about he, him behind his back. Was his picture actually put on the page? Yeah, apparently, because he said that like one of the girls that he went on a date with, or like. After going on a date, she's like, you know, there's this web, this Facebook page, like, and, and you're on it. And he gets all mad. And I told him, I was like, dude, you do not care about this. Because well, what, what did they say? I don't know. Uh, oh, that's, but, that's what, the thing is, if what they said. Happened, I'm guessing it wasn't positive because he says that, like, one of the girls was trying to, like, say some positive things about him and she got kicked out of the group. But what I told them was, like, if I'm going on a, if. If I happen to go on a date with somebody and like on our first date and like we're at the bar or the restaurant or wherever and she says, you know, there's this Facebook page and like they're like I put your picture up there to like see what other women had to say if like any of them had dated you. My response would be like, I hope I got one star. I hope I got all one stars. Well, you know why? You know why you would say that is because you set the expectations low so you can surprise people. Versus having high expectations. Where you well, and say, also, like, I, I feel like that line is just showing, like, a nonchalance. Like, it's funny. I don't care. Like, give me yeah. one star. It doesn't affect me. But I'm – so the thing is about, like, negative reviews or somebody talking shit about you, it only should hurt you if it's true. Like, people talk a lot of shit about me. I, you know, I, I come around to hear it here and there. Most of that shit doesn't bother me. Because, uh, you know, I'm confident with who I am. And if somebody does happen to talk some shit, then I'm like, oh, you know what? Fuck, you're right. I, then that's something I work on. Or I or I have the value proposition, I'll just deal with being shitty at that, and and I'm fine with not putting in the work. It's kind of like not being in perfect con- physical it's condition. It's like why right? I don't dance. It's, but, yeah, exactly. You're like, I... I, I I value not being uncomfortable and flailing my body around uh, over flailing my body around being uncomfortable and making other people happy. Right. And I look at it as like the work that I would have to put in to get good at dancing is not worth it. <laughs> um, yeah. Where, uh, where are we going next? Um, well, let me see. You know, we can skip over this other well, I, I, Very briefly, I'll talk about this. He he talked about like this last weekend he had a date with somebody else and he was saying that she had opened up to him about how she had been she had gone through some kind of abuse or trauma. Well, I can't say what his name is. He wouldn't say he wouldn't say what what the abuse was. And I was like, honestly, I don't want to know if it's so bad that you don't want to talk about it, then I sure don't want to know. But it's if you've been through some kind of trauma or whatever. Like you need to have the self-awareness to realize that maybe getting into a relationship right now isn't the right thing for you because I've I've always found that if you had a lot of trauma, you should just dive directly into a relationship. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But he was talking about how like they'd only hung out like two or three times and he came over to my place to play some pool and she was mad at him because like he wouldn't hang out with her that night or like he wasn't available. And he's like, I'm playing pool with my friend. Like, and and she was laying all this guilt on him about like, but well, I just feel like I'm thrown away by guys. And I was like, Tom, oh no, all right, fine. His name's Tom. <laughs> we could have edited that out, but still, this is live. Uh, um, like, Tom, you like, you have to recognize that, like, you know what? You can't fix. You can't fix everybody. Some people just aren't ready for a relationship. And what you might be signing up for here is a very large role as an unpaid therapist and you're unqualified for that 
I'm unqualified for that. Um, yeah, I mean, but that's the that's the cool thing about dating is that what you're doing is you're putting feelers out there to find out if if somebody is a good match for you. The problem is, and probably especially down there, is if you have a perceived uh, low number of options, then you're quick to jump to and 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 fall in love and see your life with somebody when it's the, the third date or something and 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 that person it's one thing if like everything's aligned all the criteria boxes are checked by the third date but if that person is like literally uh checking the red flag box in in tom's case having a child when he just said i'm not going to date somebody who has a child then you're not you're not understanding the concept of dating the you know the you can date someone and not be in a relationship with them mm-hmm. in an official relationship your relationship would be your dating right yeah, yeah so, but you're looking to you're looking to establish a relationship and so like your first one two three dates are trying to are you're really looking to weed people out and be like let's find the things that don't work for me and like disqualifying somebody isn't a bad thing and like real quick, like a couple a years thing. ago, it should be a good thing. It should be you're saving each other. You're saving each other, saying this isn't going to work. It was nice not not knowing you, and uh, you know, mm-hmm. never know you. Have a I was on a date a couple years ago, and uh, like four or five drinks in, she brings up the topic of kids, and and I was like, I don't ever want to have kids. Not something that I value. And she just says, Okay, well, that's where we just remain friends. Cool. And I was like, fine. Cool. I wasn't mad. I'm like, sweet. Cool. Found out. I found out on date one. Yeah, rather than than year the end of year one or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and I, I never talked to her again. I'm not mad at her. I don't feel like I wasted my time. Like it was. I met somebody, and there's something that didn't work. No big deal. But especially if that's a deal breaker for her or for you, you want that shit cleared up really early on before you go down you know the rabbit hole of a relationship and waste all of your time um ah man uh, so like when, when people ask me now like about the whole kids thing i was like i will happily torpedo a date 10 minutes in by saying i don't want to have kids if that's good if that if that's going to end the date awesome i think i think especially you know at our age that needs to be really clear because there are still I mean, we're almost at the age where it's not going to be possible anymore. Yeah, my mom was telling me about that. She's like, you might need to like relax your standards a little bit about not dating a, a woman who has kids. Be, like, If they have older kids or the kids are self-sufficient or whatever. Oh, and, that's the other side of the coin, yeah. Well, yeah, if they're, they're like their teens or something. I said, um, no. <laughs> She's like, you just need to think about compromising a little bit. No, not going to. Oh, boy. Well... I mean, it just it just depends on how bad you want to be in a relationship. You know? Not bad enough to bring a kid into it. <laughs> um, all right. So speaking of kids, speaking of kids, should we move forward? Sure. All right. So kids and their potential. You know, when you're a child, you have limitless potential. You can be anything you want. You can do anything you want. Is Can you that, put the image up that I sent in the text message to you and Rosh? Is that – oh, hold on. Uh, damn, that's going to take me a second. All right, hold up. Let me just bring my mouse onto the thing and do the thing with the image. All right, so we got a group message. <laughs> this is actually really funny, by the way, uh, but now i got to open the actual image. This is about potential. Um, all right, here we go. Uh, mouse up, mouse over. This is James uh, – perception of this is my contribution to the potential discussion childhood potential uh potential not everyone gets to be an astronaut when they grow up and for whatever reason it's a picture of french fries <laughs> so i don't i don't quite get it i get it but i don't know i think you should get it the french fry uh uh relevance i'm i is lost on me it shouldn't be what am i missing on the french fry reference well, it's not a picture of an astronaut. <laughs> okay. It doesn't mean you get to work at McDonald's? That's, oh, that's fuck the implication. Ah, fuck me. I'm an idiot. Uh, <laughs> so, but I think that's the reality, 
if you if you don't develop the math skills or the quantum physics skills uh, to become an astronaut, you don't have the physical endurance to become an astronaut. It's not going to happen. Becoming an astronaut is one of the most difficult things to do. Well, becoming an astronaut who gets launched into outer space, there's got to be a lot of astronauts that actually never never leave the Earth's that's, that's also true, but like the amount of skills that you need to have as an astronaut is insane. Like here's here's how crazily smart astronauts have to be. I think this is in like the 60s or 70s um, when one of the Apollo missions was trying to like re-enter Earth's orbit and like re-enter the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Like some of their navigational systems failed, right? So the computer navigation, like ensure it was 70s computers, but like <laughs> even 70s computers could help you out a lot in terms of making sure you come in at the right angle and don't burn up, right? Mm-hmm. So the computer system fails while they're like navigating their way through the earth's atmosphere. So they need to like know that they're coming in at the right angle. You know how the, the astronauts were able to do this, like without the aid of computers. Um, trigonometry. The astronauts used the stars and the position of the stars to like triangulate their angle and their velocity and everything to make sure that, so they basically use the stars for navigation in real time at like 15,000 miles per hour heading in like burning up into the atmosphere so like using basically ancient techniques of navigation and they had to do that they didn't have charts they didn't have books they just had they had the knowledge of what the stars were supposed to look like in their orientation to navigate back through. What you're telling me sounds perceptively impossible. I, I couldn't perceive, nor do I have the ability to figure out how to do that. And guess what? Not an astronaut. So, yeah. if, so, if, it's, listening, so if anybody who's listening to this is like, oh, yeah, no problem. Yeah, just uh, blah, blah, blah. You know, we, we got what's the what's the. Uh, what's the meter, the the measuring device called where you kind of gauge sextant? Se- yeah, sextant. Uh, like <laughs> that's what you actually need, right? So it, if you're like, oh yeah, we just dial the sextant to sixty, you know, degrees and da da da, and yeah, no problem. I got, I got it. Maybe you're astronaut material, but if you're seven years old and you really want to be an astronaut and and you're struggling to read, bro, probably not going to happen. Yeah. It's reality. If you're if you're 15 years old and you you, you were actually James, how tall are you? Five eleven. Yeah, you're five eleven. You were short for, for a long time. Yeah, I didn't grow until very late. Really late. Yeah, which is wild. I I, I can't even remember back then. Yeah, when I was 15, I was still like five three. Um, but but I, well, I was gonna say four nine. If you're if you no, I was four nine and when I was 14. Not nine. nine. <laughs> I wasn't talking about you, uh, but I was, I was going to say, if you're 4'9 and you're 15 years old, like the NBA is probably not in your future, right? No. So, so the, the idea that you can be anything that you want to be, you can do anything that you want to do. And this is, by the way, this is a rushed topic. This is a rushed uh, sound, soundbite or idea that he sent to us um, that we're about to dissect. Uh I also, I was told that as a kid. I, I am guessing you were probably told that as a kid. Do you think people are still telling their kids that? According to Rosh, yes. Well, when was the last time he was born? Uh, and, well, he's talking about somebody he knows who's got a daughter that's a teenager that has probably been told you can be anything you want to be when you grow up. And according to Rosh, uh, this teenage daughter acts very entitled because she's not really been told no. Well, that's, you know, I always thought there was a benefit of kind of being raised really well and having everything handed to you is that once you hit adulthood, that's what you're used to. And then it gets effectively taken away from you. And then you basically do what you need to do to reclaim that and make it happen for yourself. Whereas, you know, if everything isn't handed to you when you're growing up and life isn't simple and nothing serves you to the spoon, and then you have to develop those skills and make it happen yourself, whatever those goals may be. But you never got that taste of the silver spoon beforehand. Now, to me, in the example I just gave, the first scenario sounds easier. It's easier for the first half. Well, well, no shit. <laughs> but... Uh, but Rush's question is, 
is it harmful to kids to tell them that they can be anything when they grow up? Do you think that's a, a net negative? Yes. Why? Because you, you, do you think it, it breeds depressed adults who... I think you need to set realistic expectations. So your comment about if you're 15 or 16 years old and you're still 4'9 or 5'1", maybe playing in the NBA isn't in your cards. Um, I had when I was a substitute teacher many years ago, I had some students that were struggling and like they they and sometimes their parents would say, I don't need to worry about school because I'm going to play in the NFL. And I'm like, you might be a decent player on your middle school football team. You Mm -hmm. might be you might be a good player on your basketball team. But first of all. If you take the, if you look at the way that the numbers break down, it's effectively uh, winning the lottery. It's effectively winning the lottery. It's about one in 100 players from high school will go on to play college. One out of maybe, uh, maybe one to five players in college, one one to five out of 100 players in college will go on to play professionally. And of those one to five players that go on to play professionally, probably maybe 10 to 20% of them will ever make it to the absolute top league. So you're looking at like a one in 10 to one in 30,000 chance of you're good in high school. Therefore you will be a pro. And so I told him, I was like, look, these, these are the numbers. And I know this because I work in professional sports. And two, even if you are the one in 10,000 talent, there's always the possibility that before you make it professional, be it in high school or college, your knee goes out. Well, the, <laughs> exactly. Um, or your shoulder. Or, or yeah, you have an injury or something, and it, it doesn't even have to be your fault. An opponent hits you in the knee, and that's the end of your career. And if you didn't have a backup plan, you're screwed. I recently completed the series uh, of the TV show Friday Night Lights. I don't know if you've ever seen this TV show. It's a phenomenal, I know of it. It's a phenomenal TV show. It's not really just about football. I would argue football occupies twenty percent of the of the show and the and the the theme. Football is what the show revolves around. But. Yeah, it revolves around it. But you know, we revolve around the sun. How much of your day you deal talking about the fucking sun, right? Um, but no, you take the sun away, and then things get hairy. <laughs> you take football away, TV show doesn't work. Right. Um, so, but the TV show revolves around a Texas town that is very football based. The high schoolers, um, yes, you know, it's a top football town in Texas. Texas takes high school football very, very, very seriously. The teammates are treated like God. First string are treated like God. You could be 16 years old. First string uh, football team walk into a bar, they're gonna serve you. Walk into a convenience store, they're gonna, they're not gonna card you. Um, you're, you're basically God. You're walking on water, and uh, and the issue is that either you know these guys are set up for a successful future in the NFL, which is a uh, you know some of them. It's a pipe dream, really, mm-hmm. but the vast majority of them are being set up to have a very, very difficult adulthood because they think that they are the shit. And when high school ends, if they end up going off to college, maybe you're a great high school quarterback, but how does that play in college? Your third string quarterback, how does that play into the NFL? Right. So, so the, the issue is that, you know, if you're, if you're a top quarterback in high school sport, uh, sports and high school football, that doesn't translate to the real world. It translates in your ecosystem, in the high school ecosystem, but it doesn't translate outside of that to being as important as you feel in that moment. Because even if you're a top quarterback in college, every year, there's probably only like, five or six quarterbacks in all of college that are really like elite. So you could be the best high school quarterback in the entire country. And then all of a sudden you go and play for a college and you're 72nd out of 128 college quarterbacks, which that's still really good, but 
<laughs> but how does that play into your psyche, right? Like you go from being number one in your county, you know, and and uh, yeah, to yeah. now you're just an average quarterback in because as you move up in rank, like the competition increases, and like to to be at the top every single time you move up a tier is a remarkably difficult achievement. Well, it, yeah, it's effectively like you win the you win the local lottery for ten thousand dollars, and then you win the win for life, where you get a thousand dollars a week, and then you win like the mega millions. Like hitting all, you know, going from one step to the next to the next is probably 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 the definition of the word probably impossible. Well, yeah, probably but very low. If you have enough people, like eventually one person will be able to do it, or a couple people will be able to do it, but like, and they get all the attention, and it's the whole survivorship bias thing, where you look at the people that made it, and you don't pay attention to the thousands who didn't. I was having a conversation today about climbing Mount Everest. I was saying, you know, it'd be so cool to climb Mount Everest. But then I think about the people that have died climbing Mount Everest, and realize that they have way more expertise in climbing, probably better physical stamina, probably better physical fitness. And whatever their background is, probably better than me. And they still died climbing Mount Everest. Yeah. Their bodies Although at this point, frozen. they're just frozen to the side of the hiking trail. At, at this, well, for one, like there are a number of dead bodies on the path to the peak of Mount Everest that serve as landmarks of like, oh, that's green boots. <laughs> like you're a thousand feet from the peak because that, like, because they can't move the bodies, it's too high. If you're um, Native but American, also, name, green boots. <laughs> There, that, that is actually one of the uh, landmarks. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But like, at this point, climbing Mount Everest is much more a function of having a lot of money to spend because yeah. you're paying for the permits and you're paying for the Sherpas to carry your shit. Team, yeah. Supplies and team, yeah. <laughs> so supplies and the people that carry your supplies. Um, yeah, yeah, so like, if, if you've got enough money, the only thing that you really need to carry is like your coat in your boots, which are attached to you, and like your oxygen mask. I mean, yeah, like golfing. Like you, you have somebody carrying your clubs, et cetera, et cetera, and suggesting to you what club to use if you have a good caddy. Speaking of caddy shack, um, back to kids and their potential. <laughs> <laughs> when you mentioned caddy shack, I bought a leaf blower the other the other week. Um, you bought a leaf blower? A, yeah, and it just made me think of the scene in Caddyshack where Bill Murray, who's the groundskeeper, like a woman comes into like his shop, and he realizes, oh, there's a woman in here. I need to clean up. So he fires up the leaf blower. <laughs> Did I tell you the time I used the leaf blower in my house? <laughs> Did I tell you this? Uh, no. So I had replastered the part of the basement, and when you plaster, you have to sand down the the ridges because you have the plaster knife right it's a big broad knife but as you scrape across the new plaster you leave kind of lines and and you know if you're good at it you don't leave as many lines or as many indentations but if you're not good at it as i'm looking at my ceiling i can tell you i'm not um you leave kind of some bumps or ridges so after the plaster dries you come through with a, a sandpaper block and you sand it down the issue is that it creates this white dust this super fine dust and it just falls everywhere i've i've you know 20 pictures of me just covered you know with this blue dust i look like casper the friendly ghost it's you know it ends up in your lungs it ends up in your nose ends up in your ears it's fucking disgusting so i had this great idea last winter time after after re uh repairing the ceiling in my basement I had plastered it, sanded it down, and there was this dust everywhere. So my plan was, I'm going to open the door. And James, you know the room beside my garage. Mm -hmm. So I was going to open the door to the outside. I stood at the top of the stairs from the, the next floor above with my leaf blower. I opened the door downstairs and started blowing. The issue was that it was wintertime and the cold air from the outside outweighed in density the warm air from inside the house came rushing in and as i kind of disturbed the scene this this heavier air came inside and carried all the dust which was in the basement to every corner and crevice of the basement 
and then the second floor of the house as the as the dust mixed with the cold air and the warm air and continued uh, in altitude into the second floor. And there so was I can imagine whole... you just standing at the top of your stairs, scratching your head, saying, huh, guess I didn't think that one through. I didn't stand there for very long. I rushed down the stairs, tried to aim the shit out. It was a it was a clusterfuck, and it was just it was really it was really bad. And I ended up in this white silt across the majority of my home for uh, for like a month, even though we dusted everything. Um, it was a total disaster. Uh, you know, I think we're losing. I think we're losing track. We talked about kids and their potential. Now we're talking about uh, <laughs> not a weed whacker. Leaf uh, blowers. Leaf blower, a leaf blower. <laughs> uh, well, so kids yeah. the potential. Right. Um, the, so, so I think the real issue is how do you inspire your kids and how do you create the image in their mind that that everything is a possibility within a certain range without overemphasizing within a certain range where they start developing self-doubt and saying, you know what, I'm not going to pursue that because I'm not that already. And I think that's the issue with raising children in in general but for the longest time it's just said you tell your kids they can do whatever they want you build up your kids in this reality that isn't reality and then they hit the real world and they're they're not your problem well so how how does that change how has it changed i don't i don't well i think it's changed a lot because of social media because kids can now see other kids doing things or seeing other people doing things and like they can start measuring themselves against what's honestly a completely unrealistic but expectation. But I think they're, they're already measuring themselves. And by measuring themselves, they're saying, I'm just getting started, but this is the goal. Yeah, that's the mature way to look at it. The problem is when you've been looking at social media for the last four and a half years and your peers are doing shit that you are not doing, and then you're just watching social media. And well, doing yeah, but like you could also – like let's say you've got a kid who gets into – I don't know, chess. Okay. And they just start. They just learn the game. They're not good at it because they just learned. And then they see, and let's say your kid's, I don't know, 12. And they see other 12-year-old kids that are playing in tournaments and winning against, like, adult players. And they they look and be like, well, why can't I be that good? And they see on social media, this 12-year-old kid wins whatever tournament. And they get down on themselves because they're like, I can't even beat like another kid my age, let alone like a professional chess player. But the thing is, those social media posts aren't showing that the 12 year old that won that tournament has been studying chess since before they could read. Well, that is the greater danger in social media overall. And it's, it's true of anything. You look at someone, a kid who's able, like a high school um, like runner that's running a 13-minute 5K. And you go out run and you can't run a 25-minute 5K. You're like, well, shit, running, why can't I do that? running in like under 12 these days. So, <laughs> but And then you say, well, well, shit, why can't I run a 13-minute 5K? And what you're not seeing is that the kid that's running the 13-minute 5K has been running every day for the last eight years. Dude, think about a 13-minute 5k and how fast that is and how i mean just how beyond our ability that is even as teenagers how how beyond our ability so the pace of a 13 minute 5k i could not keep that pace for 400 meters (laughs) which is one lap around the track me neither Uh, 13 minute 5k is three miles at just over four, four thirty or so. Just over four twenty. No, less than four thirty. Yeah, four twenty or so. Yeah, under four twenty because you have that. Extra I don't think feet. many high schools are running a thirteen minute, but a fourteen minute five k they're definitely doing. All right, we got to get on to our last. We but it's to- let me just sum up. Like social media allows unfair comparisons because you're seeing people that are at the pinnacle of whatever and. What you're not seeing is how hard they had to work to get there. And you're thinking, well, I can do that. But you're not realizing how much work it takes to actually do that. But that's also in line with what we've been telling kids for the last four generations. You can be or do anything you want. And I, I, I think less, fewer and fewer people are saying that to their kids. 
but you do have social media, which sort of implies you can do anything you want, except you don't get to see behind the scenes, which is what you're saying. Um, we got to hit this next topic, which is called liminality. So would you like to define liminality or you want me to, you want me to take a stab at it? Uh, I'm kind of interested to see what your guess is on it. So I, the liminality is a new word for me. Um, liminality to me, um, I have no idea <laughs> actually, but I, I think it means uh, a degree of changing or or the change like limit something about like the limit or something am i am i on to the first I, half was pretty close so okay. like liminality is all about like about transition okay transition. so like a liminal space is going to be a space that is used for transition so an, an easy example would be a hallway but i think a better example is an airport where so an airport would be fully liminal minus the yeah, like the inside of an airport where like you've got the restaurants and the seats and the screens and all the other stuff that's in an airport like being in an airport is a fully liminal experience unless you're a worker there but like yeah, if you're a traveler in an airport, that, except for the people that work there so it's not yeah. it's 99 liminal yeah like uh, an airport is like the for me like the easiest example of a liminal space and so like the, and there's all sorts of examples of this and like there's a whole like area of photography of just kind of like of like capturing empty liminal spaces and like the good examples of it will leave you with this awkward feeling of well i mean like to be circular here, liminality. Like you're, you're left feeling like, like you're seeing a space that's supposed to be full of people transitioning, and it's mm -hmm. empty. So you're just like this. This feels incomplete. There's something wrong here. That like so, um, for example, the opening scene to Vanilla Sky when he gets in the Ferrari and drives around Times Square that's completely empty, and how strange that scene is. Mm -hmm. That's a liminal scene. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I, I get that. Um, Vanilla Sky, by the way, great movie. Great Tom Cruise movie. I don't know uh, if it's a great movie. I, I think it is because I think there's actually a lot of underlying attention to detail similar to Fight Club that you don't notice. And it also plays with your mind if you're really in tune with the movie. I just remember I, I, watching the movie and feeling frustrated with it at times. In in what sense? In the behavior of the main character? Partially. I, I need to rewatch it. It was a while ago. It was a very human experience to a future world that we with technology that we don't quite have. Although I do think we're we're about a decade off of of the idea of kind of transplanting your brain. To, into a digital world, maybe more than the maybe two decades off, actually a decade. Actually, no, we're farther away than that. It's really two difficult decades, to do. Nah, two decades to me sounds a lot closer. Um, but either way, so subliminal meaning. Give me a clear, concise definition of subliminal. Uh, sorry, uh, liminal. Uh, sorry, so, liminal. Liminal experience or a liminal space is basically. Like, like a liminal experience is just a feeling of unease or disorientation as part of going through a transition. And it's general it's because you can have all sorts of liminal experiences. But like an easy example there would be like if you're moving to a new city, then like your first couple weeks in that city, you're going to have this unease at the transition that you're going through of discovering new things and feeling out of place. I, and which, which okay. On, on that note, that liminal experience where things are new and displaced and you're uncomfortable because you don't know your position in because things are changing and, and things aren't changing, but your role in that world is new. So you're, so you're, 
your personal role is changing. I have always hated that experience in the moment and looked back and reflected on it very positively afterwards. Right? Like my experience in Charleston, I fucking hated it in the moment. I was, I don't know if you remember, I, we moved down there and I woke up at seven o'clock in the morning and I sent emails and resumes for the first hour or two of the day. Then I got up and exercised, went for a swim. And then I went, I put on a full suit and walked business to business and handed out my resume. That was a miserable time for me. It was a miserable time for me. I was worried. I was running out of money. I was broke. In retrospect, I was like, that was the fucking life. I, I used to wake up at seven o'clock in the morning or earlier and and do computer work and then work out and go for a swim. That sounds fucking awesome. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a weird one because like oftentimes like when you're going through a liminal experience, like it's one of those ones where you're often at your most vulnerable and it's you you feel unease and disoriented and you don't really feel like you have a direction but when i think back to periods in my life that were like that i look back at them positively because of the potential that was there and that's part of like what like a lim- like because it's a transition you're always moving like there's always potential and you can feel that like something's about to happen I like that aspect of liminality. Um, where do you want to go with the liminality uh, topic outside of naming seven movies? Well, I think I'm like I'm thinking about just conversations that I've had with people recently and how like a lot of times the things that stick with us the most are the things that come from when we were in a liminal state where change was happening and certainty was limited yeah i feel like some of your most salient experiences come from when you are going through something like that where and like another example so like for example my buddy who's dating like he's in a liminal state right now where Mm -hmm. he's getting to redo his entire apartment because like he his girlfriend had a whole bunch of animals and there was a kid living there so now he gets to like remake his apartment the way he wants with only him there and he's meeting all these new people and it's a period of uncertainty for him because he doesn't know what he wants or what he's looking for in a a relationship but at the same time there's a ton of potential because he can meet anybody and he can do anything that is but in the moment that's why it's also scary but in the moment, that's why it's scary because you you are like trying to purge old memories out of the space. You're trying to create a new space, but you don't know what that new space should be or needs to be. And you do have this unlimited number of possibilities, but you also have this fear of the possibilities that you don't want to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's and that's and that's why it's not overall a good experience. Now, when you look at it retrospectively, it is whatever it is, it is what brought you to the here and now. So you can look on that. Arguably, the majority uh, will look back at that as a positive experience because most people are happy with the here and now. Yeah. So I'm curious. You got a bunch of movies listed. We got we got about six minutes left. You want to run through these movies and tell me how liminality plays a role in these? Because I think these are cool movies, and anybody listening should listen to the movies. Well, uh, off the top of my head, I'm not looking at the document right now, but Fight Club is a super liminal movie because it starts off with the narrator's apartment getting blown up and him moving in with somebody that he met on an airplane. And his apartment was a pristine version of what he thought he wanted his life to be. It, it effectively looked like an apartment out of an Ikea catalog. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he ends up... He ends up, like, it literally detonates. His entire life detonates. All right, next one. Uh, Truman Show. 
like the entire movie is about the transition of Truman re- going from being a TV character to becoming a person. <laughs> yeah, so for those of you who don't know the movie The Truman Show, it's about basically a dude was born and there were hidden cameras and cameras all around his life. And he and those cameras projected the image to the greater country outside of his realm. His entire life was a TV show. And every minute of his life, he was on TV, and he was the only one who didn't know it. <laughs> yeah, so 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 weird to to think about. I think it's very cool. I wish we could actually do that in real life. We have oh no. We have not done that. I'm and glad we all, haven't done that. It, I, me, me as well. It would be cool to do, but it would also be cruel to you, right? Like it would be, it'd be cool to go to the Coliseum and watch people chop each other's heads off. Yes and no, but um, I mean, I also probably, think that probably, it yeah, wouldn't be cool for that. Jim but. Carrey's best role by a mile. Well, he plays the most sane character that he's ever played. <laughs> so. But just the way he navigates, like it, you feel like, like if you were in in the same position as the character in the movie, you could see yourself acting that way. All right, you got four more movies. Throw them out there, cool. We got four minutes left. Four minutes next. Uh, American Beauty. That's very limited. Uh, that's very limited. There's a guy that's going through a transition in his life. He goes from an unhappy husband who is living a life that isn't quite in line with where he needs to be. He, he kind of followed what his perception of the American dream was and he's not where he needs to be and he's realizing how off course he is. So he's, he's trying to redirect and with that redirection uproots his entire life. Mm-hmm. Next movie. Being John Malkovich. Being it's all about transitioning into being another person. <laughs> yeah, it, it's. I have that on VHS. Actually, I told you I'm building out a VHS uh, center in my my house. Uh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you about that later. I got a whole bunch of VHS movies. I um, I don't know how that fits into the liminal spaces. In, well, in like, it's but it like all, a little pathway that you take into John Malkovich's in, mind into somebody else's life. Yeah. Um. Lost in Translation. I have a, I have actually not seen that movie. Are which, you kidding me? No, like when I when I put that one on there, I was like, I know of this movie. I was like, I can't believe I've never watched this. This is something I need to do. Bill Murray movie. He was one of my favorite actors. He's in Japan, which is one of the coolest places I visited, and it's just about experiencing a foreign land, and and being disconnected from your life and then meeting somebody in that foreign land that has a perceived similar life experience to you, but is much younger and then building a bond and then a little bit of drama that happens because bonds are not perfect, but interpreting that world that's effectively backwards, right? Like if you and I separately went to the upside down land where everything was opposite, We'd be fucking lost. Mm-hmm. And then we ran into each other who had a shared experience in reality. We'd be able to comprehend the upside down a little bit better together. And we have comfort in doing it together. It's like whenever you're traveling abroad and you meet another American, you're almost immediately friends just because you have somebody that you can relate to. I'll tell you one thing. If I'm in New York City and I walk into somebody in the sidewalk or they stop and I'm like, yo, what are you doing here? Where, where, where are you from? They're like, oh, I'm, I'm from uh, Rhode Island. I'd be like, yeah, go the fuck back to Rhode Island, jackass. What the fuck are you doing here? Um, you're, like, you're stopped in the sidewalk. But if you're in uh, Sweden and you but, meet somebody from Rhode Island. If I'm in Sweden and I see somebody or I hear somebody on the train or some shit that's got an American accent. I'm like, oh, where are you from? Like, oh, we're from Rhode Island. Instantly, we're just best friends. Which is the weirdest, which is the weirdest thing. I don't know how that plays into liminality. It, but, not directly, but. I mean, yeah, you could derive. Um, all right. We are out of time. Anything else you want to add before we ask people to subscribe to the podcast? Apple, Spotify, Anchor, any audio podcast platform that you're on, make sure you subscribe. If you're watching us on YouTube, subscribe to YouTube, interact with the YouTube video, comment, give us a thumbs up. James? 
Nothing. Nothing. Damn, man. That's boring. On that note, thank you all for joining us and adios. This is The Other End. Thank you for making it here. If you made it this far, now is the time to subscribe. See you next time. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.